Hello, hello, and hello, everybody. Welcome back for another episode. If not now, when? I am so excited, honored, and grateful today to have our special guest join us. We have Sean Flynn to join us in today's show. Sean, he started his life as a business owner, founding and growing successful business in Beijing, China. I thought he sees more China than I am. Uh, before he returned to U.S., he worked with company ranging from fast-growing Silicon Valley startup to established published company. Today, he brings his international background experiences, working with all stages, sectors of business, to his role as a principal to a mid-market investment bank, as a banker, as an investor, with a focus on merger acquisition, capital market, financial restructuring, and variation. All the smart and incredible stuff. Today, he is so brilliant because he speaks Mandarin, Spanish, and he also is a host uh, for the award-winning podcast, the Silicon Valley Podcast. Wow, how exciting. With that, everybody, I am so excited. Thank you so much, Sean, for joining us, and welcome to the show. Oh, Wen, thank you for having me, and, and thank you for allowing me to do this remote. I'm here based in Silicon Valley, and I really wanted to be there in Austin, Texas today, but things didn't align. But I do plan on being there shortly, so when I can't wait for us to meet in person and grab a coffee together. It's going to happen. With that, Xiang, we are so pumped. So tell us, how does your journey all begin? Uh, I mean, how far back do you want the story of going into China? Or go- okay. <laughs> so, so going back, my story was undergraduate. I did mechanical engineering, and it's a very challenging major. Uh, but the whole time I had friends that got the opportunity to study abroad. Mm-hmm. So while I was studying, I kept thinking, oh my gosh, I'm so jealous. I really want to take a semester abroad. I really just want to go see the world. But because of the major I was in, I didn't want to fall behind. And so I kept telling myself, well, as soon as I graduate, I'd like to go abroad. And I wanted to go to a Spanish-speaking country because, well, Spanish was pretty much the most challenging subject I had in high school. You know, math, science, and that were always very easy for me, but languages were challenging. So as soon as I graduated, I I got the opportunity to go to Costa Rica. And what I mean by the opportunity is kind of a a hilarious story. I had a a friend there in the Peace Corps, and she had a girlfriend. And in Costa Rica, I mean, things could have changed. It's been, you know, 17 years or so since since going there. I, I hate to date myself, but yeah, I went there in 2005. Uh, but back then it, it wasn't, you know, kind of uh, cultural okay to, uh, you know, have same sex couple. So they said, Hey, you know, we're all buddies in college. Do you want to come down here, you know, be the pretend boyfriend, then everyone will kind of leave us, leave us alone. And, you know, you could learn the language, hang out for a little while. And I was thinking, okay, I'll go there for like four weeks. And this was right after graduating. You know, everyone else was looking for a job sent in and resumes. And you know, I didn't want to do that. I want to take a little break. I wanted to finally travel abroad. So I went down to Costa Rica with what I thought was going to be, you know, maybe extended, maybe, maybe two, three months. I was there almost two years. So uh, the, the thing about you know, going to another country and when I'd like to hear your thoughts when you, you know, coming to the States is when you go there, you start, you start experiencing 
a new culture, a new way of life. And if you're a very curious person, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm learning so much here. Like every month I was there, I felt like I was learning a year's worth in college. Like it was unbelievable. The the first you know four months when you're there and you're like, okay, I went from not speaking the language except for you know, hola, como esta, like hello, to oh my gosh, now I'm having pretty good conversations with people. And you know, eventually after a while, you're like, oh my gosh, these these Spanish teachers from America are coming down here on vacation and my Spanish is, you know, better than theirs and they're teachers of it. They were majors, they got masters. They it's like, oh my gosh. And then the culture itself, it's so interesting. And so I kept learning, kept learning, kept learning. So I, I stayed there. But then I was when I was there, was very interesting at the time. So I was there between 2005, 2007. Is there's already a lot of call centers in Costa Rica. Uh, the call centers, you know, there's a huge population that speaks English there in Costa Rica. There's so many people in Costa Rica that work in the U.S. at any given time. So they have call centers there in English and Spanish, you know, same time zone, everything. It just works out. Educated group of people, you know, hard work. It, it just works out perfect. Well, they're opening at the time call centers in Mandarin. And I went, well, this is odd, but it made sense because these call centers, they add that to it. Now they're speaking to half the world's population. You know, English, Spanish, Mandarin. And I was like, oh my gosh, you know, I started doing some research. This was 2007. I went, okay, China's taken over the world. My friends back in college were just telling me, because then internet wasn't the best. So on, on Sunday, I would go to the internet cafe for an hour and update people. And I actually, I'm not even joking, used MySpace to update people. So, so God, it sounds so old now. Um, but so yeah, I'd use MySpace to update people. And, you know, I just went, I want to continue this journey. So I thought, okay, everything I did in Costa Rica, I'd now like to do in China. So I went there before the Olympics in 2008. So I first came home to the US, I worked for a while, saved up some money, then I went to China before the Olympics in 2008. And it was so much more challenging than Costa Rica, so much more mm -hmm. challenging in every way, the language, the culture, just none of it made sense. Wait, what brought and, you to go there in the first place? Just why not? To where? China? Yeah, it's a long leap from Costa Rica to China. Well, so I saw them open up the call centers and I thought, oh my gosh, China's taken over the world. And I was just doing some research there and I went, okay, if I can learn Mandarin and Spanish and with an engineering background, that will open up the doors for international business moving mm -hmm. forward. Uh, I mean, I... I saw how much opportunity opened up just from learning Spanish. And I thought, oh my gosh, how, how many Westerners actually understand Mandarin? But even more on that is, and, and when I'd like your thoughts on this, mm. the culture is more important than the language. Because, I mean, if you do something maybe in your culture that is okay, it could be offensive to someone else. And even if <laughs> you know, you're, you're able to speak with them, and actually it gets worse because if your language is at that level, they're going to expect you to know the culture and they're mm -hmm. going to give you less leeway. sort of if you mess things up. And I mean, this is on video. So, so here's a perfect example. I was at a dinner in China and you know how, how, you know, you lower your glass, they lower yours. And then you do that whole little thing and we're like, Oh my gosh, we're all equal. Cause our glasses are the same. Yes. I was at this dinner and this French guy was there. His Chinese was amazing, but, you know, just studied it, you know, 
he gets up to dinner and he does this whole toast with his glass higher than everyone's, you know, oh, super loud. And I was like, oh man, this guy's, this guy's killing it. This guy's ruining it. Like, ah, and, and of course everyone was offended, but if he had broken, had very bad Chinese, they'd be like, oh, he doesn't know really know what's going on because his Chinese was so perfect. They're like, what? I don't understand. Why is this guy doing that? He should know better. Oh, blah, blah, blah. so I mean, culture is so important. So with that, um, I wanted to, to take the next step. I didn't want to get the nine to nine job that all my buddies in college were telling mm -hmm. me about the horrors. Mm -hmm. I thought this would be the perfect opportunity. And I thought I would, you know, gain so much from the experience. So I just went to China uh, and I was there and I was originally planning on being there one to two years and then it total it lasted close to five. Wow. And will you just go there just to learn a language or do you go there with the intention to start businesses when you first? I went there with the laundry list of items I wanted to do. I wanted to accomplish everything I did in Costa Rica there. And what I mean by that accomplishments of learn the language, learn the culture, start a business. Um, so, I mean, Costa Rica, I was able to support myself just doing side hustles here and there. I mean, eventually one of my favorites was I was actually a, a salsa teacher. So, uh, what? There you go, right? Yeah, I was a translator for a salsa school for a little bit. And then, you know, you're dancing four hours a day. And eventually they're like, why don't you just teach the class? I'm like, okay. So um, so wow. I have some pretty good salsa dance skills. And Sean, I, I want to just mention, you are such a visionary. At the time when you graduated from, you know, college and amazing universities where everyone else got in line, want to do their thing, you know, you just have this idea and mission, you know what? I'm going to build a business in Costa Rica and now China, like that is a big, big goal, isn't it? Were you a little bit, at, at least a little bit scary at all? Well, the Costa Rica, that was me more avoiding life and responsibilities than having this big vision. I mean, let's be honest, I had no idea what I was doing. But then once I got there, you spend a lot of the day just kind of, when you can't speak to anyone and you're just learning language, you have a lot of time to reflect. Mm. And I mean, my days for the first, you know, nine months, literally when I was there was I would wake up, try to talk to people in the morning. Maybe I'd volunteer at an elderly care facility. So I lived in a, so my friend where she was in Santa Maria Delta, which, you know, there's Peace Corps there. It's a 2000 person town. Everyone picks coffee. You know, they get a, you know, not even a dollar an hour at that time to pick mm -hmm. coffee. Um, it was, it's a tough living, but. I would just, I'd wake up, I would spend the morning talking to somebody. Maybe I'd volunteer at the elderly care facility. I'd play checkers with them. Everyone just wanted to talk about their grandkids. And, and, and so I'd listen. Then I would go on hikes and I would take my language book with me and I'd, you know, try to learn some language. Then in the afternoon, I would talk to people in the park. And it was just always these little conversations with whoever would talk to me with what my new words were for the day. And just through that, you have so many gaps. You're just thinking, okay, back in the US, this is what my day was like. Okay, this is what I thought was important. Here, everyone, you know, they don't have these things, but they're super happy. Why? Okay, this person, everything, you know, married super young, have eight kids. Oh my gosh. And in the US, no one would think that's okay, but she's happy. People I know in aren't happy. Well, why is, okay, They've this person doesn't want to go to the capital city, scared of escalators. What an escalator? I've always been on an escalator my whole life. You know, you just start comparing 
people's lives and just start thinking, reminiscing about, okay, um, where do I see myself moving forward? Where are the opportunities? Where, where do I want to fit in? And you just have enough, a lot of time throughout the day to think, thinking back to, mm -hmm. at that time, I thought a lot back to the university to make the right decisions for the, my major, you know, Did where, you? uh, mechanical engineering. I mean, it's a great major in the sense that you, it trains you how to think in processes, in steps, and how to break things down into components that are manageable. And really, I think that train of thought is important, especially mm -hmm. if you want to build a business or analyze things or set goals in life or just basically build out next steps for accomplishing things. I think that the processes that you learn, the work ethic is amazing. The, the people that are in the major are you know, studious and hardworking. There's a lot of great things, but I mean, looking back, I mean, maybe I should have done coding, you know, maybe I should have done something else or maybe gone to a different university, but overall, you know, if any of those things had changed, I wouldn't be where I am today and where I am today. I'm pretty happy. I'm pretty excited about what I'm working on and the opportunities. And mm -hmm. most people, honestly, every time I tell them what I do, they're like, how'd you get there? That mm -hmm. is the most odd path. I've never heard of anyone getting there, going in that direction or, you know, walking that line before. So there's only one Sean Fling. Oh, All the other names are taken. So you might just do you, right? You are good at this interview. And I like that. Wow. So tell us after that exciting Costa Rica adventure, how does that experience shape who you are today? And how does that inspire you to go to China as a next step? More than anything, what that experience did was just kind of open up the ideas of how much you can learn in a short amount of time while traveling and how important it is. And I think actually one skill from that that I take with me today is what I really enjoyed back in college and most of my life. It's okay. Your network is this age group, these people. So your major is mechanical engineering. Most of your buddies are mechanical engineers. They're within one or two years of your age. Growing up, it's the same thing. Maybe you talk to some people that are your parents, friends, or relatives, and but it's a small percentage of, of who, your network and maybe who you're comfortable with talking to. In these small towns, is you're, you know, in the park or you're at the bar, but that bar is anyone from age 14 to 80. It's just that's where they go at the end of the day, no matter how old are they, and just everyone's talking with each other. So you get very comfortable mm -hmm. talking to everyone different age. You're listening and trying to figure out because half the time I was like, what are they even talking about? So I try to learn their body language, their movement, try to get a sense of, okay, happy, how mm -hmm. do I respond? Mm -hmm. And it really made me pay attention to conversations, to people, get comfortable with talking to everyone, have confidence in speaking. I will admit I was more shy back in college than I am now for sure, especially with getting in front of an audience. I remember trying to talk to complete strangers and, you know, if they, if they see you as a, an outsider, they're a lot more forgiven if you can't speak the language. But at that time, you know, curly hair, I had to close everything. Some people and in Costa Rica, a lot of people there really look Westerner. Western. I mean, I a lot of people thought I was Costa Rican until I started speaking. They're like, "You're what? What the that? Huh?" Um, and I remember going up to people, just 
just random strangers are talking and, and them just like, I don't understand you. And like walking away, like, oh, that hurt my feelings. But uh, it gives you confidence later on. It gives, gives you tough skin. It makes you, you know, it makes mm -hmm. you move on. So now you've done it, you're going to take it to the next level with Mandarin. So yeah. take us to China. How is experience learning Mandarin while starting a business in China as a foreigner? Oh, you? God, that was super challenging. So yeah, the uh, the first the first few months when I was there were pretty difficult in the sense that I didn't speak any Mandarin. I was in the A0 class. The school I went to, there was a lot of foreigners, so a lot of people were trying to speak English. So I started off at that university, and then I switched over after the Olympics. Uh, the Olympics was very interested and taught me a lot in a short amount of time. So we were supposed to have a semester, a full semester, and they cut it short. And literally, they're like, okay, school ends this Friday. Uh, everyone's going to have to leave and get their visas redone for the Olympics. And, I, and that's when I was like, what? And I realized the power and control of the, 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 the central government in China. I mean, here in the U.S., people would fight back. People would complain. People would, every, there it was just like, all right, class ends on, on Friday. Wait, don't we have three more? It ends on Friday. That's it. Like, just done. <laughs> so I learned a lot right there about how things operate. Uh, and then after that, when I went back, I went to a different school where there weren't really any Americans, where everyone was, it was more Korean students where people were speaking Chinese. I told everyone there from that day forward that I was from Costa Rica and lo siento, yo solo hablar español. Like I only speak Spanish. So people stopped. They didn't speak to me in English. Either they spoke to me in Chinese or they didn't talk to me at all because you know, no one, no one in China really speaks Spanish. And so that's when I Brilliant. finally really started learning. And I did that for almost two years without anyone catching on. It was crazy. Finally, my roommate found my, I just left my US passport on my table one day for some reason. I don't even know why. I was just cleaning things out. He's like, that's that's an American passport. I thought, I thought you told me you weren't from America. I was like, oh, you know, double chi. <laughs> and, um, you know, he was like, oh, well, pay for me. Like, it was, it was really weird. That was another interesting thing for me is everyone I then told I, that I actually speak English. I'm from America. And people were telling me how, oh my gosh, you're so smart. You know, you tricked all of us. And it was a complete odd thing for me because I thought they'd be all, everyone would be pissed. But instead they, it was almost like a sincere, like I, I honor you, which I don't know when I'd love to get your thoughts on that, but it just shows kind of the difference in cultures between the West and the East. And it's because you have beautiful intention. You want to emerge in a culture. Everyone sees that. And we acknowledge and respect that. And I think to take from West to East or East to West, this is a big jump. And the fact that you want to do that, you want to do 110%, I think that act, that decision earns respect from others. At the end of the day, I mean, of course, you know, I feel like, Everyone love everybody, and whether you're from Costa Rica, China, U.S., Japan, we love you all. But the fact that you take this part so, so you know, seriously, sincerely, and want to learn, I think that's brilliant. Yeah. So when did you start your business? Oh God! Two years in. It was about so. 
the the first business I did, I had multiple businesses, multiple failures, multiple learning experiences. We all do. And, and the first one was, and I thought this was going to be a huge success. I really did. I um, I knew companies back in Silicon Valley, and I knew the the my roommate at the time was an uh, engineer at Yahoo, and he had a bunch of air engineer buddies, and, and I started to get to know a lot of people because Wudalco is a university area, and they had the Google campus there and a lot of things. So I, was, I had a pretty good network, and so my thought was, okay, I'll find these engineers here that have extra capability, and I'll match them up with uh, Silicon Valley companies that were looking to outsource development. And, you know, I'll just be that middle guy. That's what my intention was. So, you, the you know, the outsource and dev shop. That didn't last too long. <laughs> so one day after, you know, we got and paid uh, the guy. And th- at this time, I had eight people. I had one manager and then, and you know, seven engineers under him. And I was just doing the the biz dev or, you know, the role of, of finding the clients and that. So he came to me and he's like, hey, Sean, and they're all happy. And I was like, why? Why are you guys so happy? You know, you, you guys already got paid. Now we got to do the next job. And they're like, oh, no, they're going to have to pay us again. I was like, what do you mean they're going to have to pay us again? They already paid us. We're like, oh, no, no, no. We put bugs in it. Now they're going to have to pay us to fix it. I was like, oh, God. I was like, that's so short-sighted, guys. I don't like, oh my gosh. And um, so that pretty much destroyed that company right there. The my contact in the US was so pissed. You know, basically was like, don't ever talk to me again or I'll sue you. I was like, whatever, you know, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. The the Chinese group uh, the engineers, I didn't trust them after that, even though they did they did then want to pivot into selling jade. Like, oh my we could export jade to the US. I have a I have an ant with a jade shop. I'm like, no. Um, so that killed that company. Then I started another one. That was an that was another epic fail. Uh, and then the third one was actually finally I found a niche that was you know successful. Wait, so tell us how does that for one challenge you move to another, how just keep going? What would you have do you always just know that you want to start businesses, Sean? First of all, and secondly, what do you? What is the biggest learning from those challenges? Oh, I mean, big learning there was, you know, pick your partners, pick your partners wisely. Whoever you, you know, co-found or trust or or work with, I mean, that's key to the business. And you know, they can anyone you work with could torpedo the business so quickly. Everything mm-hmm. that you work for, relationships mm-hmm. are key. You know, value relationships, value that network. I mean, there's so much there. Mm-hmm. And then the, I just kept going because I just kept figuring I got, I'm gonna make it one of these days. <laughs> like, <laughs> I love that. I, I don't know. I mean, it's just one of those things where you fail, you walk around for a while you know, think, okay, how can I improve on this for next time, make some changes, and then go at the next idea. And then you just keep going. I don't know. I just can't think of any other way to go about doing something. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. You have no, no other choice, but keep going because life does not stop that moment. Yeah. And, so and, and you know so much more for next time too. I mean, and then the worst comes to worst, 
you end up having a story that you can tell for years and years and years. For sure. One of my goals in life is one, when I'm 80s, when I'm 90s, when I'm no teeth, when I sit on the chairs, you know, when my all the future grandkids walk around, I still gonna be a cool grandma because I have all the amazing story to tell. That's literally my life goal right there. And I feel mm-hmm. you. So with that, Sean, tell us, you know, bring us to the moment in China. What eventually happened and what made you, uh, made you to come back to U.S.? How do you pivot? Uh, I mean, for the, the U.S. instance, that was um, kind of unfortunate. So so what, what happened was there's a couple things. One, I'd already been in China a little over four, four and a half years at that point. Oh, wow. And it was one of those things where I, I was watching a lot of my uh, contacts had also started businesses there. They get to a certain point where someone kind of comes in and just more or less kind of grabs it from them. You know, the business partner comes in and changes the door and like, Hey, you know, you're a foreigner. This, you know, you don't really have any recourse here. It's ours or they get pushed out by someone or I just kept seeing, or or so-and-so comes by and Asked for more red envelopes and all these things. And I just was looking at it going, okay, this isn't a good situation. Um, I just can't see me wanting to build something out and spending years here if at one day it could get taken away from me. So I was having those thoughts. And then uh, my dad actually passed. So I came back to the US to help out my mom and family. And uh, I did go back to China after that shortly, but it just, I just knew I had to come back to the US. So there was that time where it's just, okay, I've been here long enough. Uh, it's time for me to, to make the shift. And then I went back to the US and was back here in 2013. How do you just walk away from the business you built in China? Oh, was it easy choice? Um, yes and no. So after I left, when I came back to the US, you know, when I, when I went back there, I was looking at the records. I was like, okay, some of the money is kind of not where it should be. Things were, it was just, it was so many things that happened that I was like, okay, my business partner has already kind of planned for my exit. So let's just yeah. have the conversation. And we did. And we came to an agreement where it was, okay, just buy me out. We base it on this. Is everyone happy? Okay, people are happy, you know. Let's find a replacement for me to to run what I was doing. How long will that take? And you know, we had a, a short transition period, uh, and you know, it worked out. I'm still friends with the person today. When I go to China on occasion, if it, if calendars work out, you know, we still will meet up for for dinner, um, and you know, great experience. Uh, but it was just one of those things where you know you see the writing on the wall. And either mm-hmm. you can fight it or accept it and go on to the what's next, what could even be bigger and better. And I decided, okay, I needed to go back to the U.S. That family was most important at that time. I needed yeah, to course. do a lot of things. And um, so I just moved forward. And then you know, I came back to the U.S. And for that first year, it was you know, a lot of stuff happening with the family. And then it was just trying to figure out what the next moves were. Then what happened next? Oh gosh. So it was pretty hilarious. I, I, I also going back to the thinking strategically, I thought, okay, this next year, cause my dad didn't have a will. So it was pretty sudden, um, just sudden heart attack. 
so we had a lot of things. Everything was in probate. Uh, my grandma also kind of had dementia, which we didn't know about, and I had become the conservator. So there was so much, like, it was ridiculous. Everything happened in a short amount of time. Uh, so I needed something where I could be you know, time flexible. And I was thinking, okay, I could either do real estate maybe or a personal trainer. So I was a personal trainer at 24 Hour Fitness. I did that for a year. Wow. That was actually pretty cool. Most people don't understand, but being a personal trainer is one. I highly recommend everyone in their life at some time being a teacher in something, whether it's teaching a class, maybe English or personal training. Because once again, you are able to communicate with people, create goals for people, understand emotions, how to lead, how to uh, reverse engineer things to get results. There's just mm -hmm. so much there. And then you know, health is, is so key too for so many things. Mm -hmm. So I was there for a year and I only applied for one gym. I applied for the 24-hour fitness at Southern Montgomery in San Francisco, which is in the center of the financial district. And my thought process was, okay, I will work here for until I get everything settled with my family. In that time, I'm going to network with everyone here and then leave in a year with this huge Rolodex of people I can you know, follow up with. And so for a year there, my clients were all these CEOs, CTOs, CFOs of all these tech companies in Silicon Valley. And so my plan worked out. It worked out really well. And wow. I... At the end there, I just said, guys, I want to move on and do something else. I They all opened up doors for me, got me interviews pretty much any place I wanted. I mean, I interviewed Hootsuite, Salesforce, you name it. The one problem, though, with all those interviews is that they pretty much all said the same thing of, you know, oh, wait, how'd you get here? Who do you know? Oh, geez. Okay. Uh, I'm going to be honest with you. You're going to be bored here and leave here in a year, you know, because they looked at my background. They're like, wait, you, you've lived abroad almost eight years total in I was actually in Europe for six months as well. You started companies overseas. You, you know, had a what people would consider a successful exit from a, a, a company. I mean, that company was it was a good size. And uh, now you're here, mechanical engineering background. Like you're, you're not going to stay at this job. You're going to be here for less than a year. We're going to train you. You're going to get bored. You're going to leave. But the one group that accepted me was startups. Startups. Love the, the the resourcefulness, the being adaptable, being hardworking, being creative. So I was very accepted in the startup ecosystem. I had a buddy that started a company. He asked me to come on board. I was there for about eight months total. Uh, they ran out of funding. But in the process, I got to meet a bunch of angel investors. Mm -hmm. One of the angel investors, as the company was dissolving, I said, hey, I, I'm now I'm going to have a lot of free time. Uh, do you want someone to just kind of screen some deals for the angel group that you're with? And the guy's name was Roger. And he basically was like, sure. And that was when doors really opened up. So starting then for, you know, every week or so, I would go to his office and sit there with a bunch of angel investors as they would look at deals and just tear them apart. And I would sit there and listen and learn and ask questions. And I would do these write-ups for them, you know, these one-page write-ups of these companies, and you know, go, oh, this is what my thoughts are. And they would just tear them apart. You, know, <laughs> you missed this. You missed that. Why would you say this? 
You know, I've I've been a CEO of four companies that have been acquired, and you didn't think of this. this. They would just give me so much quality information. I really going back to overseas. A month there was like a year in college. I was thinking, okay, every month here is like going through an MBA course. These guys that had some extremely successful careers of being CEOs of you know, mm-hmm. Fortune 1000 companies going public, getting acquired, having investments, get acquired, just everything. And I'm listening to them, having access to them, getting coffee in the morning, grabbing lunch, just hanging out and talking with them all day, every day. And so I, I learned, I can't even tell you the amount of information I learned in, in that time. And then mm-hmm. over a short amount of time, they bumped me from just helping out to, okay, now you're in the investment director of the group. And I was looking at 100 companies a month, screening it down to normally five to eight to present to the members. I mean, it would be more of an extensive process of looking at 100 decks, having calls with 20 or 30 of them from that, bringing in 10 to 15 to have do an in-office presentation and picking five or eight, prepping them, getting them ready, having them do presentations. And then on occasion, you know, one or two I'd do due diligence on and do these pretty in-depth Mm-hmm. you know, analysis, write-ups, everything. And did that for a, a good amount of time. In that time, I got, I was starting to do deal flow agreements between this angel group and all these brand new Chinese incubators and accelerators that were opening up all through Silicon Valley. Because, you know, you have this group, new new group, no connections, none at all. Yeah. And you have this one group that's been around for 20 years that knows all these people. And so I was just doing partnerships and then that led me back to China where I was helping a, a group here that was taking companies to set up offices in industrial parks that the parent company built. The parent company was Huaxia Xingfu, Huaxia. So mm-hmm. they built 80, 82 tech parks throughout China. Mm-hmm. And each tech park has a different you know, focus. Maybe this one's smart homes, maybe this one's AR, VR, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. I would help find companies here and we'd find companies from other parts of the world and we'd take them on these delegations, these trips there. Mm-hmm. And so I was doing that, going back and forth for a good amount of time. And you know, that that led that kept leading one thing leads to another, leads to another, and that led me to the investment banking role I'm at today. Wow, Sean, you're you are such a learner. You have such a curiosity. Every step, every journey you took, you are you are taking it all in and from a mechanical engineering shifting into a banker or investor mm-hmm. with heavy due diligence, financials, all the wonders wonders in numbers. That's a huge jump. That's incredible. Oh, when? Thank you. I mean, most people just say you're lifelong nerd, but uh, I like how you put it. <laughs> Isn't that? That is a long way journey, but that is so brilliantly. It suits you so well. Yeah. Is that you ever thought you're going to come this far in, in this part of life, Sean? Do you ever think you're going to be a, a banker, an investor? Yes and no, to be honest. Uh, when I when I started um, analyzing companies for, for the angel group, I was really enjoying it because mm-hmm. every day you're reading the pitch decks of the most, you know, cutting edge technology. I mean, from Y Combinator, plug and play, all these graduates are sending their their decks to look at. And I'm mm-hmm. sitting there analyzing them, having to do research, calling up the founders, asking questions, mm-hmm. and going back to you know, really 
loving learning things, you can't not learn. Every call you're sitting there going, wait, how, how does this product work? Wait, mm -hmm. I had no idea. Oh, mm -hmm. So this is what how the industry is growing. This is how it's going to be disrupted. And you're just learning, learning, learning. Mm -hmm. So at that time, I was thinking, okay, what do I want to do in the future? And kind of the past I, I was thinking was get into venture capital or get into investment banking. And venture capital, it's you know, fantastic. You raise capital, you have an investment thesis, you deploy it over a given amount of time. But that time could be seven years, you know, five, seven, 10 years. Whereas I kept thinking, do I want to be, and this is before Zoom, this is before the pandemic where, okay, if I am a Silicon Valley VC, I'm a Silicon Valley VC. This is where I'm located. You know, maybe I, I'll travel in that, but this would be kind of generally where I, I am. And I just thought, I want to keep traveling. I don't want to be tied down to anything. Yeah. I want the flexibility. So what are some other possibilities for that? And I had a contact who was an investment banker and I saw his life of, okay, he works, does a deal, and then he takes time off, travels. Then he does another one or two deals, takes time off, travels. And, you know, it's heavy, heavy work for that amount of time. But depending on where you at, you... I mean, for example, the investment bank I'm at, you pick and choose your deals. If you want to take a year off, well, you're not making any money, but that's up to you. Or you could say, hey, I'm going to work four or five deals, right? Well, five is crazy, you know, three or four deals right now and just hustle, hustle, hustle. And you can do that. So the flexibility and the choices are yours. And that's what I really saw as my personality. Mm -hmm. I didn't see my personality as being someplace for a long time just because I, I mean, at this point in life, I think I pretty much know who I am in the sense of what drives me. What, what drives you, Sean? Oh, I, I just am very curious about things, to be honest. If there's, I don't want to say I have shiny object syndrome where it's like, wow, that's shiny. I want to go over there and check it out. But I definitely do have the, wait, that person's doing something that looks cool. Mm -hmm. How could I do that kind of what, thing? What, what are you curious about next years or next XYZ times? Uh, I mean, really in the future, the banking itself is so fascinating because every engagement's going back to deal screening, you have to learn a lot about a company. In investment mm -hmm. bank, you have to learn 100% about that. Literally, like you have to know 90% about the business, the industry, everything on an engagement. And if you're a generalist, you get to work on so many different things. It's pretty incredible. What I do want to do in the coming years is extend that to, I mean, the bank I'm at, we do international deals. I want to work on some international deals. I want to you know, be on that plane flying. The, I mean, I'm going to be in Puerto Rico the end of this month for a deal. I want to do more international deals. I want to, you know, there's a lot of things I, I, mm -hmm. I have visualized. So that's another thing about me is I break things down into one to two year goals. Mm. And I was doing that in Costa Rica. I was doing that in China. I was doing that everywhere going, okay, what do I want to accomplish in this next year? Okay. I really want to accomplish this language in this next year. I really want to accomplish this business this next year. I really want to accomplish getting these licenses that are going to be needed this next year. And Can you I'm, just take one thing 
for the next two years? Or how does that, how do you? Good question. I will break it down in that kind of that life wheel that you'll hear Tony Robbins, mm-hmm. you know, your spiritual, your health, your, yeah. your business, your personal uh, improvement, the, the, the wheel. But at the same time, I will lean heavy on one thing. So like when I was in China, I mean, I remember one year it was, I'm going to master, you know, get better at language, business, blah, blah, jujitsu, heavily focused on jujitsu. And I got a lot better at it in a short amount of time where I'd have my goals, you know, write them out, everything. And, you know, right now I have similar goals with kind of the my lead gen pipelines and all that for the podcast, not well, the podcast and the investment bank and uh, milestones and deal sizes, um, transaction size total that I want to do in a 12 month period. There, There's definitely goals that I have written down where I'm like, I'd like to accomplish this in the next 12 months that I revisit on occasion, you know, either before going to bed or while I'm walking and just visualize if I hit those goals, how that changes my overall life and how I see it there. So I'm very driven in a lot of areas that, I don't know, might be a little too driven (laughs) for some people. But at the same time, when you really challenge yourself, I found that life gets really interesting. And I love that, Sean. I love that you are so intentional about the path, the life that you are creating for yourselves. And I love that you said when you really challenge yourself, life becomes interesting. I mean, who in the world want to say, when I'm here to live an uninteresting life? No one ever will say that. Everyone is here for adventure and whatever path he or she taking. I think we all looking for wonder, looking for joy, looking for interesting perspective. And thank you for sharing that insight. Oh, when? I mean, honestly, how many people have we known for since high school or college, when you go back to them and go, okay, well, tell me about, you know, catch me up on everything you've done. And they tell you, and it's like, what, it just sounds like you've watched everything on Netflix. Like, like With uh, all the love, you know, where I come from, it is a town where you grow up there, you live there and you die there happily. And it is a town where really, if you ask people what's, what's up, there's nothing's up. You know, he or she, probably get a job and one job that has been in the job with all the love and respect. They probably have a beautiful family and they are growing healthily. That's the all up for the past 20 years. And one thing that I do learn from my own journey is realize we all have our own, own path. And that is an exciting, interesting journey for all of them all as well. And today, all my family, all my cousins, all my best friends growing up, they're all in this beautiful life, beautiful mm-hmm family beautiful, the path where they are. And I am here realize the more I see, the more humbling I am realize mm-hmm. I don't know, I don't know. And it's never my place judging this or that. All I can tell is I know what's best for me and that's my only focus. Mm-hmm. When, what are your goals for the next year or two? What are you going to accomplish? Oh my God, what a beautiful question. I don't want you to know I'm looking at my vision board is, is unfolding right in front of me. I, you know, I don't know if I ever shared this with you. I always see myself, even when I was little, even in the little mountain town where nobody ever left, where no one ever showed me the pathway. When, when in my town, when when I was seven years old, I told my mom that I want to be a mayor of the town because it sounds so fancy and cool. 
But Mom immediately shushed me, said, "Don't ever say out loud because it's embarrassing and it's dangerous." That was the environment I grew up. But I could not tell you where. I could not tell you how. I just felt this like a bubbling in the heart. I always see myself staying on the bigger stage one day, sharing my story, sharing my heart with the bigger and greater audiences, and that's all my vision for it. I see myself on the stage. I'm seeing myself growing my business. I'm seeing myself doing all the amazing things. But at the end of the day, for me, it's never about a project, a business, a speaking, all of that. I think it's about how do we share our gift authentically with the world.、Mm-hmm. And today, I think you were alluding earlier that Shao, in the process of when you go to new countries specifically, when you go to new environments specifically, I think we learn so much about. Ourselves and the world, because you get so much time to be introspected and along the journey, I felt that I found myself. I found my gift, and therefore, it is my one hundred percent intention to share my gift authentically and in that in that path. Not only not only making impact, hopefully, but also uplifting other along the journey. So that is my intention. That is my vision for looking at. Oh, I thought you were going to say Mayor of Austin there. <laughs> no, I realize. I think I think those are hard job, and they are amazing. With all the respect, they do them, but I have a different path. But yeah, when I was young, I thought that was cool, just because in my town, no one ever left. That was the biggest position you can find. So I thought, you know what, I can be cool. But back then, you know, being a girl is extremely not cool and not welcome to be ambitious, to have a drive, to have a dream. To have a voice, and that's why I strive to be today.、Uh-huh. Well, Sean, I'm not gonna let you get away too much. <laughs> Tell me now. I want to circle back to you about you. So, thank you for the beautiful questions.、Um, what drives you today, Sean? You come this long way. You are always curious. You learn so much. You are immersing yourself to one challenge after another, and today growing this multi-faceted, multi-inches, this amazing, incredible investor. What drives you today, and what's next for you?、Uh, I, I don't know. I'd say a lot drives me. I think one of them is to, to keep my wife happy. That, that's、Aww. probably the biggest drive right there. <laughs> that's right a beautiful goal because happy wife, happy lives. So true. So true. I tell my husband every single day. So he remembers. <laughs> There's <laughs> a lot, you know. <laughs> so I, I mean. I'd say, I'd say, after you've traveled a bit, you kind of know what you're capable of,、mm-hmm. and then striving to kind of surpass that or reach that limit again, if that makes any sense. I mean, when you're in a、Crossing、new, it, when you're in a、pounds. new country, a new challenge, you don't know the language, you don't know the, and you're sitting there going, "I am hungry. How can I order anything from a menu I don't understand?" Like just put your body in this situation, where everything gets so easy after that. I mean, even now, people are like, "Oh my gosh, all those licenses you 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 got for investment bank." I'm like, they're nothing compared to learning Chinese. <laughs> you know, Sean, for the longest time, maybe like solid six months when I'm in America, I am terrified. Order food in in a restaurant, even like I remember in a subway sandwich, subway shop where you know you're going line right. There's like long people behind you, and there's so much peer pressure, and you have to point out what you want to order. And those words are just, oh my god! Literally six months. I afterwards after the trauma experience, 
I get rice. I don't cook rice and water. I'm boiling water every day. Like that six months. That's my diet. And I know exactly what you meant. And I think I love that. I feel like you are really put yourself in those situations that you are setting a goal. You're crushing it. And you set another goal. You're crushing it again. Just like when you are the personal trainer, that milestone one after another and help you to pushing all those boundaries. And when those, whether it's licensing or any other goal that you set, well, easy peasy, lemon squeezy. You've done something incredibly hard. It's going to be easy, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then you find the next thing that's challenging and and go go after that. So <laughs> Made life more exciting. Sean, so what is your superpower? If you can use one or two sentences in your own words. My superpower, and hopefully you don't hear any of the knock, and I, I think someone's, yep. okay, the, um, I, th- I don't want to say tenacity, I don't want to say adaptability, but a combination mm-hmm. of, of that, and to be honest, I think, I think the, the I think that my most, my superpower that I've gained over the years, I, from traveling, from the podcast, from everything is just listening, <laughs> being able to listen intently to people and ask questions. I think the power of questions is such a skill that's underrated. Mm. To be honest, that's one of the things I noticed about early on with the inve- the the angel group. The most successful angels were the ones that would ask the best questions. The ones that would ask a question and then everyone else in the room would go, I didn't think of that. Huh, that's interesting. Or the founder would go, oh, no one's ever asked me that before. Oh, let me let me get back to you on that one. Huh, that's interesting. Because it pivots the entire situation. Mm-hmm. And either it opens doors or, closing door, or closes doors. But the power to ask questions is such an underutilized, underrated skill. Mm-hmm. And it's something I'm still working on. I'm still learning for the when I interview people for my podcast or sit down with a company for investment banking and, and try to learn about them or just meet a new person. I think, I mean, that's, uh, I'm not good enough for the X-Men yet in that skill, but, you know, trying to, trying to maybe get the rank of, you know, maybe a, a C-class superhero right now, move, moving <laughs> up the, moving up the ranks in that. <laughs> you are too humble, Sean. You are great. And I think, Especially when I meet a master and they are extremely humble about their skill set, and you feel like, oh my God, Sean. Um, yes. Talking about reviewing deals, Sean, I wonder today you probably reviewed hundreds, thousands, of my billions of deals and decks. And for all founders who are listening today and just wondering, what are the things you are looking at? What other investors are looking at? Oftentimes, from start, for founder perspective, they might overlook. Oh, that's a really good question there's a lot of things founders for me it's really interesting how many of them have so much going on they don't tell people about either capturing it in the pitch deck capturing it in their pitch capturing in the story they're telling and then when you sit down and have a conversation you go wait a second why didn't you say that before wait how come you didn't mention that hey how well that's kind of key that you have this person on your team with this background or this advisor's done this or you have this experience or this network or this sales or something where you're sitting there going it just doesn't make sense that you wouldn't say this earlier Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> so I, like, how do I say this? People, founders, people, everyone in general have trouble telling their stories in a way that resonates with whoever is listening. And those stories have to be altered all the time and customized based on who's who you're telling it to. The situation, the time, the the environment, everything. And the really good storytellers I find are the ones that are able to to raise capital, are able to encourage employees, are able to create this vision that really drives value in the company. And so being able to tell that story and answer the questions that are, are, are being asked and communication is a highly sought after or should be a highly sought after skill for founders of companies, which a lot of times they don't see the importance of it or they don't want to get training or they don't want to get help or they don't want to spend the time on it. But then at the same time, some of the top CEOs of the world, they'll spend weeks on a, on a short little speech, mm-hmm. but yet you'll have a founder that won't practice their pitch deck before, <laughs> before meeting that investor that could make or break the mm-hmm. company's future. And it's really interesting. Uh, but going back to founders and just maybe some tips and tricks that c- could help them out. Mm-hmm. Well, one, from day one, kind of start letting people know what you're doing. In the, in, it's always helpful to start marketing, mention on social media what you're doing, because you never know who you're in your existing network has someone that can make an introduction that could help you, either a partnership or something. Have some type of update, you know, monthly, quarterly, to send out to those ideal investors, those ideal partners where it's, hey, this is what we're working on. Just wanted to update everyone. This is our ass. This is what we're looking for. Could you make any interest? Something like that. Build those relationships as early as possible. I mean, literally build them for a year until they're coming to you saying, hey, I hear everything you're doing. Can can we sit down and have a conversation and really get to know what the other side wants? What's their investment thesis? So, a lot of people will just say, oh, you're an angel, you're a VC, you're so-and-so, can you help me out? Well, in reality, it should be, hey, what's your investment thesis? What are you looking for? Do you know anyone that has an investment thesis that fits what we're doing? You know, deal size, sector, geograph, like, you know, whatever it is, get it narrowed down so it makes sense because a lot of people just take meetings just to be nice and friendly, but it's more or less a waste of everyone's time and resources. I mean, time is, it's very precious and it should be treated more precious than people, people are. So, you know, find out what people's investment theses are, find out what milestones you need to get to. So you are a potential candidate for them to start telling everyone, build those relationships, ask and, and let people know what you're doing. And, and, you know, specifically, Hey, I'd like intros to these potential partners, these companies, Leverage the power of your existing network, your you know your alumni from university, your contacts, everyone. There's there's so many resources. People, maybe this is it. I find that people have way more resources than they know they have, and as soon as they start thinking about all the resources they have, whether it's alumni, family, 
this person they worked with before, this online website, whatever it is, they start having these aha moments. Mm -hmm. So take some time, relax, block out, block out planning and go, okay, let's strategically move forward in this the best way possible. And going back to ask questions, how's the best way to go about doing it? What's the best use of my time? What has worked for other people? Who can I talk to that has been in a similar situation and me and can make an introduction? Just plan things out and, and you'll, you'll get better results. Wow. What a beautiful suggestions. Be intentional because at the end of the day, it's a founder driving this path forward. And it is our responsibility to get all the yeses along the way, being our biggest support. Sean, I love that. Is there anything else you want to share with audiences I have not asked today? Uh, I mean, more than anything, I mean, listen to Wen Jung, listen to her podcast, follow it. Uh, Hopefully there will be some things happening in the future between Silicon Valley and Austin. If anyone wants to... It is, if anyone wants to connect with me, scan my QR code, it goes to my LinkedIn. If you are a founder looking to exit in the next one to two years, I focus on transactions between 10 and 300 million. So if your company is looking to you know, get acquired for that amount, or you're looking to raise growth capital in that amount, or if you're looking to acquire other companies, any type of you know these types of transactions, I'm an amazing resource uh, with my network and where I'm at and everything. So just come have a conversation with me. Like I said, earlier the better. If this is a year before, fantastic. If this is next month, you want to start doing this? I mean, it's doable, but let's have that conversation early and and let's move forward. So, you know, feel free to reach out to me and I I look forward to to meeting everyone in the audience here. And and once again, I want to thank Wendy for allowing me to be on her, her show. This has been fantastic. No, thank you. Thank you so much, Sean. I am so honored, so grateful that you are coming here, have such a candid conversation, sharing about your journey, your insight, and just seeing who you are, how you transformed one step up to another and become this amazing global leader you are today. And it's such an inspiring journey. So thank you and thank you. And also thank you, everybody who tuned in today. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I do. And I hope you see you all next week. Bye, guys. Bye, Jian. Bye-bye. Adios. Bye.